Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. For message notes and links to big things going on at Hope, check out the notes section below. When you're done listening to this episode, take a minute to follow us here, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and download our free app. From there, you can find all of our recent message content, additional resources, and more. If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. How we doing? Doing good? Well, I am a a football fan, NFL American football, uh, but I haven't always been that way. I'm actually a fairly recently converted NFL fan, not a lifelong fan. You're like, no, the skinny jeans didn't give it away at all. But um, I actually started following the NFL in 2018. So I had never seen a full football game until I was 33 years old. How crazy is that? Yeah, not even a Super Bowl, just watched it for the commercials. I watched my college roommates play a bunch of Madden, but not like a real football game. And you're like, how is that? Like you're born and raised in NC, not even college football. And uh, I was into like kayaking and mountain biking and rock climbing and fish, the band, not like the sport and uh, the Grateful Dead and stuff. Uh, But in 2018, we moved back to Raleigh and I was gonna come on staff here at Hope again. And uh, my wife literally sat me down and said, Chase, I don't know if you know this, but there's not a huge population of like kayaking deadheads in Raleigh. There's some, but you need to actually pick a sport Just pick one so that you have something in common with the people that you're going to minister to. So no lie, I'm a football fan because of the mission. It's true. And uh, I uh, I, when I when I decide to do something, I kind of go all out. So I pick the NFL and uh, we have YouTube TV. Someone actually someone I know does and I know the password. And I figured out that on YouTube TV, uh, you can actually set it to record all the sports that you want to watch. And so I don't even know what night's football comes on. So on Friday, I kind of set it to, uh, to record all of the NFL and every college football game. And so I just let it record over the weekend. And then I sit down Monday afternoon. I'm like, I got four good hours. I can knock this out. So I go to my library and pull up all the games. And I immediately called my dad, who owns the YouTube TV. And I said, hey, how in the world does a human being watch 108 three-hour football games? And so he explained to me, hey, you really should just pick a team in the NFL. He explained to me that there's conferences in college and that the ACC is far superior to the SEC. And so um, <laughs> so I finally figured it out. NC State fan, go State. And I picked the Chiefs. I picked to follow the Chiefs. Um, there we go, some Chiefs fans. Uh, I recognized Andy Reid's mustache, and there was a few diehard fans here on staff, and there was a bandwagon that was slowly pulling away, and I decided to hop on. So, um, and early on, um, I literally had to teach myself football. So I had to YouTube, hey, what is a defensive line? What do they do? What is an offensive line? What is a screenplay? They keep saying it and like acting like I know what it is. So I actually had to research, and some of it I got more confused, like why is the fullback halfway back, and why is the halfback all the way back? I don't know. Um, but I learned it, and now I love it. And I watch like every game that my wife will let me, and we, I watch it with my kids. We go see games. But I still need some help. So um, oftentimes when I'm watching an NFL game at home, I'll bring out my um, phone and go to a chat room. So NFL subreddit on Reddit, and I'll read the chat. And first off, it's funny. There's two teams kind of ragging each other the whole time. But they'll tell me, hey, that pass worked because this guy blocked this guy. Or that call was bad because of this reason. And it's awesome. They, like, pick on each other. They're, like, yelling at the refs in all caps. There's, like, a calendar for how many times the camera goes to Taylor Swift during a Chiefs game. It's fun. So if you ever see me 
watching a game at home, I will have my phone out and I will be reading the app, the, the chat, along with watching the game. But one thing I've noticed ever since I started doing this is that the entire dynamic of that chat will change every single time a certain commercial plays. Can you guess what commercial it is? It's the He Gets Us commercial. The He Gets Us commercial. If you don't know what that is or if you're watching overseas or don't follow football, it's a, a series of commercials about Jesus and about how he's relevant for us even today. And every time that commercial comes on, the chat just gets hostile, like in a second. And they don't say anything when the players go down and kneel and pray, like half the players do that. They don't say anything when someone holds up a John 3.16 sign. They don't say anything when a player has like the cross and the eye black on their face. They don't say anything about that. They have nothing against anyone that has a private belief in Jesus. But when those beliefs are spoken out loud to other people, that's when the anger comes. And a few weeks ago, I was watching TV. This came, a game, the commercial comes on and someone sums it up. They said, I don't really care if people actually believe in that nonsense, but they should just do what we all do and just keep it to themselves. And someone else chimed in like, with all the other religions in the world, why in the heck? And they didn't say, heck, do Christians think that theirs is the only true one? Like, why do they have to force it down our throats all the time? How arrogant, how prideful. And those football fans are not alone. That's actually a very, very common feeling in our culture. Um, there, there's something about the exclusive claims of Jesus where he says, and he says this all over the place, but the most famous is, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. There's something about that claim that just gets under people's skin. And I'm willing to bet that we, we feel that too. In fact, that's a common hurdle to following Jesus. That's a common problem that people have to walk through, especially if they're in a deconstruction journey. And maybe you're right there. And maybe you're not even offended at it. But maybe you're like, that is, that is kind of weird. Like only through Jesus, because there's bad people all over the world and in different religions, but there's also good people all over the world in different religions. So is it really true that the God that I follow would say no to good people just because they don't follow that religion? That seems unfair. Or aren't Christians supposed to be humble? Aren't they supposed to be accepting? How can they say Jesus is the only way? Isn't that prideful? Isn't that arrogant? And so if that's you today, my goal is to show you that First off, Christianity isn't any of those things. It's not prideful. It's not arrogant. And even though Christianity is exclusive, just like other uh, religious, uh, religion or philosophy or worldview, um, that's not what should shock you about Christianity. Its exclusivity should not be the shocking part. In fact, what you should be shocked about, about is its radical inclusivity. And I want to show you that out of a short story in the book of Acts. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 4. It's the fifth book in the New Testament. As you're turning there, let me give you some context. In Acts chapter 3, um, Jesus has ascended back to the Father. The church has already started. Um, and so Peter and John are some of the leaders of the early church, and they're going around and preaching. And in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John go to the temple to preach about Jesus. And on their way there, they encounter a paralyzed man or a man lame from birth. And so this is a man, kind of picture him in your head with me. He can't walk. He can barely talk. We're not sure how much of his body he can actually use, but he can't work. He can't earn money for himself. He can't get food for himself. And so he does the only thing that he can do. He stands outside the temple gate and just begs and asks for money. 
And so when Peter and John walked by on that day, the, the, the lame man asked them for some money. And Peter turns to the dude and says, hey, spare change, I don't have any. That silver and gold, I have none. But what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ. Stand up and walk. And so the guy does just that, paralyzed his whole life. He stands up, that attracts a crowd. And Peter's like, hey, sweet, this is a chance to tell more people about Jesus. And that's what he does. He starts talking about how Jesus is the one that God sent to save everyone, about how um, the, this physical healing is a symbol of what Jesus can, can do for everyone spiritually. And so this huge crowd has gathered and it attracts the attention of the temple leaders and the Jewish leaders and the guards of the temple. And look at what happens, chapter four, verse one. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus, there's a resurrection of the dead. So they arrest, arrested them. And since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. So notice they're, they're mad at Peter and John, not for privately believing in Jesus, but for publicly teaching others. Verse five, the next day, the council and all the ruler, rulers and elders and teachers of the religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. In verse 13, we'll actually see there's one other person. It's the lame man. It's the dude that was paralyzed from birth. He's standing in the room. That's important. Verse 7, they brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? You arrest us because we healed someone? He says, do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Listen, there is salvation and no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Well, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred amongst themselves. What should we do with these men? They asked each other. We can't deny that they performed a miraculous sign and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus's name. And I'm sure that's going to go great, right? So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. And the council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot for everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. Now, this happened 2,000 years ago, but it's not hard to imagine this same scene happening in any public space in America, is it? Can you imagine two college professors handing out gospel tracts during lunchtime at the college? You think their boss would like that? No, it'd be a meeting. You can't do that. Or coworkers at like a Fortune 500 company just spending their lunch break telling people about Jesus, like going cubicle to cubicle. There'd be a problem with that. 
So even though 2,000 years has passed, we still feel this. People got upset back then and they get upset today. But I want you to notice how Luke, the author of Acts, who wrote this book, intentionally clears up some misconceptions that people have with Christianity. First, Luke shows us that Christians who preach Jesus don't do so because they think they're smarter or more intelligent than other people. Look at what Luke writes in verse 13. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They could see these dudes weren't experts on the Bible. Like when it came to religious or philosophical expertise, these dudes aren't the sharpest tool in the drawer, right? And this is funny because Luke, who wrote this book, is friends with Peter and John. So I'm sure when he handed them like their advanced copy of the book of Acts, they're like, why did you include that in verse four? But Peter even says this in verse 20, we cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. He's saying, we're not saying this because we're smart, right? We didn't come up with this. This Jesus thing wasn't our idea. We're just telling people what we saw and what we heard. And if this is your hang up with Christianity, this is so important. You guys know that parable about the blind men and the elephants? It's like in every sermon on this topic ever. If you don't know, it, was, it came about in India a long time ago where there's you know, Jain, Buddhist, Sufi, Hindu, a lot of different religions together in one place and they would fight. And so this parable came about where there are these blind men around an elephant and the elephant symbolizes God. And uh, there's also a king kind of sitting by and he can see and he's watching the blind men kind of try to figure out what this elephant or God is like and listening to their conversation. So the first blind man kind of touches the elephant's side and says, hey, this is smooth and this is strong and it's immovable. So the elephant's like a wall. This is what God's like. And then another blind man touches the trunk and says, well, this is round and it moves. So God or the elephant's like a snake. And then one of them touches the tusk and says, this is hard, this is sharp. So the elephant's like a spear, God's like a spear. And then someone touches the leg and says, this is tall. So God or the elephant's like a tree. And this goes on. But eventually the king's kind of sitting nearby and he says, this silly blind man. And he kind of yells out, it's one animal. Each one of you is just touching a part. You got to put all the parts together to see what the elephant or God's really like. And basically the parable is saying, hey, there's tons of these different religions in India right now, but you don't, none are superior to the others, right? Each has some truths that we can learn from. There's no need to fight over them. And people kind of use this illustration to say, this is the way that we should be, right? Every religion has some good parts and some true parts, but every religion has some bad parts and some untrue parts and some mistakes. And we just got to kind of put them all together and you can learn what you can learn from each religion. And that might be what your opinion is today. But a lot of people have pointed out in the past, there's huge problems with this little metaphor. First, who's the only person that can see? The king, right? He's the only person that can see the elephant for what it really is. The king's not blind. And so this story really, and don't be offended, but it's really a pretty arrogant claim that the king knows and understands God in a way that no other religious group ever has in the history of the world. He knows the full truth and everyone else is wrong. So if this is your view. What you're really saying is I understand better these truths than anyone that's ever existed. But besides that, listen, what if the elephant spoke? Like what if the elephant talked? What if the elephant wanted the blind man to know what he was like 
and what he expected from us and showed us the way of salvation. What if God spoke? That would change everything. And that's what Peter and John are saying. The elephant spoke. We're not claiming like the king to have arrived at this knowledge by ourselves. We're dumb. It's just that God himself has told us what he's like and where salvation can be found. And it's in Jesus alone. And so being a Christian or believing what Jesus said about God, it's not arrogant. It's not prideful. It might be gullible. It might be over-trusting, but it's not arrogant. It's not prideful to believe what the guy who rose from the grave said about God. But Luke also points this one last thing out. It's my last point. It's a two-point message. You're welcome. Luke also points out that Peter and John and really all Christians, they also aren't saying that they're morally better than anyone else. When they healed the, uh, the paralyzed guy in chapter three, they say this out loud, people of Israel, what's so surprising about this and why stare at us as though we made this man walk by our own power or our own godliness. And you gotta hear this. Christianity isn't about our own power or our own goodness or our own holiness. We're not claiming, Christians are not claiming to be better than anyone. In fact, the opposite is the case. And listen, this might, if this is where your hangup is, I mean this with all due respect. And I was actually in this boat for a few years. Listen, it might be that the reason you have this hang up with Christianity is because you actually don't understand what Christianity is. You have a caricature of Christianity in your head and that's what you have a problem with. And this is so important and it's okay because Christianity, just a little secret, it's weird. It's unlike any other religion that has ever existed or will ever exist. You see, Every other religion besides Christianity, if you boil it down, they basically say one thing, one thing. They basically offer one thing. They all claim to be a way or a path or a set of actions that a human can do to make it to God. Now, God might be a literal God, or it might be enlightenment, or it might be satisfaction, or it might be moral purity, it might be all these things. But Judaism says, hey, here's the Torah, obey this and you can get to God. Islam says, hey, here's the five pillars of obedience. Do this, obey this, and you can get to God, right? Buddhism says, here's the path to enlightenment. You do this, and you can reach God or escape from, from suffering or the cycle of reincarnation, and we can keep going. You do this, and when it comes to God, however you define God, you're in. But because every religion or worldview has an in, guess what they also have? An out, Every single religion or worldview is exclusive by its very nature. What if you're a Jew and you don't follow the Torah? What are you? Out. What if you don't follow the five pillars? You're out. What if you don't follow the path to enlightenment? You're out. Every religion or philosophical system has an in or an out. Even if you say, it doesn't matter what religion you are. It doesn't matter what you think about Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're religious or not religious. Just be a good person. And any good person can make it to heaven. Awesome. Who have you just excluded? The bad people, you see? Everyone has an in and an out. Everyone has a line for who's in and who's out. You have a line and I have a line. Every religion and every person is a line drawer. Now we may draw that line in a different place, but we all draw that line. Imagine if we had on stage like an array, like a lineup of people. And uh, over here is like, like, really good, like Mother Teresa, like Saint. 
And then next to her, you have someone that's like just as good as her, but didn't like give up her life caring for the sick and dying, right? And then you have like pretty good, and then you have like the, ah, they're pretty good. And then you have the average, and then you have, eh, they could use some work, and then pretty bad, and then really bad. And then you have like Hitler and those that have done genocide, all that sort of stuff. Everyone has a line for who you think could just make it into heaven on their own. Now, it, you might define goodness differently or badness differently, and you might be really good at being good, and so your line's all the way over here, right? People should at least be able to do what I do. Or maybe you got a past that you're trying to break free from, and you want to give some people some grace, and so you draw the line way back here. Or maybe you've, you've known some people that were in really bad places, but they've turned their life around, so you would draw the line back here. But everyone draws the line somewhere. Everyone has who's in and who's out. And this is why the Jewish leaders were so angry at, those, at, at um, Peter and John. They're thinking, those crazy Christians, they're drawing the line in a different place than we would draw the line. Like we as Jewish leaders, we would draw the line here where we're in and Peter and John are out because they're false teachers. And false teachers are bad. They don't get in. And they're angry because they think Peter and John are drawing the line where Peter and John are in, but the leaders are out because they murdered Jesus. And murderers aren't good enough to be in. And all of that anger that they felt towards Peter and John and all the anger that the people in my football chat feel and all the anger that our culture feels towards Christians and all of your anger and the hangups that you have due to, for Christianity are due to the fact that you think Christians are saying only Christians are good enough to get in and everyone else is out. And you know what our biggest fear in life is? That we're out that we're actually not in. And we spend a good portion of our life trying to prove to people online and in our lives, no, 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 we're in. We're in, I'm in. Look at these causes I support. Look at my sense of humor. All right, look at this good deed that I did. I'm in, I need you to know, I'm in, I'm not out, I'm in. That's why we hide the bad things that we do from other people because we don't want them to think that we're out. We need them to think that we're in. That's why when other people tell us we're out, we get angry and we redraw the line and we say, you're out. And that's exactly what out people would say about in people like me, you see? We spend so much of our lives trying to prove that we're in because our biggest fears were out. And when Peter and John say stuff like Jesus is the only way, it sounds like they're saying out loud what we fear the most. And that's where that anger and hangups are, right? No one wants to be out. And the leaders think Peter and John are saying, and all Christians are saying, Christians are the only people good enough to be in and you're out. But that's not what's going on at all. Remember there's a third person in the room? Who is it? It's the lame man. It's the man that was paralyzed from birth. He's watching this whole confrontation. The man that was unable to do anything for himself because he was sick. A man that was unable to actually heal that sickness that was ruining his life. And if Jesus was standing in that room at that moment, I can just see him interrupting and saying, hey, Jewish leaders, you're mad because you think the Christians think that they're better than you and you actually think you're better than them. That's why they draw the line over there and you draw the line over there. But that's not what they're trying to say. And that's not what I, I came to earth to show you. Listen, what I taught was that no one is good. No one is better no one is able to take a single step towards God on their own. Everyone is just like this paralyzed man that was just healed. Paralyzed from birth. He's physically what everyone was spiritually. 
See, when Jesus came, he turned religious, all of religions upside down. Jesus taught that unlike every other religion in the world, there is no path or no set of actions that a human can do to reach God. Humans, Jesus said, are so broken and so flawed, every single one of them, that none can make it to God. So what every single religion offers, Jesus says, that's an impossibility. Your worst fear, that you're out and can't get in, Jesus says, is true. And it's true for every single person. That's why Jesus came. Because we couldn't get to God. God and Jesus came to us, you see. And we could never get to him because of something called sin. Sin is the problem that Jesus claims to be the solution to. Listen, the reason God says there's only one solution is because there's only one problem. And it's sin. It's something no other religion takes seriously enough. Islam says the problem is actions and a lack of devotion. Buddhism says the problem's suffering and a lack of enlightenment. Americans say the problem's education or politics or racism or money or moralism or judgmental people. Ask people all over the world, what do they think is wrong with themselves? Or what do they think is wrong with the world? And all they will give you is symptoms of one disease called sin. And so because there's one problem, God sent his son to be the solution. And this is so crazy. This is so unimaginable. No human would ever come up with this, right? And this this is the thing that maybe you have misunderstood about Christianity. And uh, every other religion, here's what you do. You do the best that you can. And at the end of your life, you take all of those good works and all of your good actions and all of your sacrifice and hard work and you offer it to God And let him decide if he's going to accept that offer and let you in, you see. But in Jesus, God does the opposite. See, in Jesus, God himself came down and became a human with like skin and suffering and temptation. No other religion has ever claimed to do that. And he lived the life that we couldn't live. He did the hard work. He did the acts of service. He went through the the sacrifice. And when all was said and done, even though he doesn't deserve it, he took the punishment that sinners deserve. He was treated like an out, even though he was in. And now this sounds crazy, but it's all over the Bible. Now, we don't take all of our good works and our hard works and our sacrifice and offer it to God to see if he will accept it and let us in. No, no, no. Through Jesus, God takes all of Jesus's hard work and all of his good works and all of his sacrifice and does the unthinkable. He offers it to you to see if you'll accept it and to see if you will let him in. See, God and Jesus is the reversal of every other religion. See, in Jesus, God offers to switch place with you, places with you. He says, if you'll let me, I'll take your place in the out and your punishment, and you can have my place in the end, and my righteousness, and my right standing with God, and my reward. And that's crazy, but it gets even crazier. Guess who God makes this once in an eternity offer to? Everyone. Absolutely everyone. He offers it to to good people, and he offers it to bad people. He offers it to sinner. And he offers it to saints. He offers it to people that on the outside look like they deserve for God to let them in. And he offers it to a murderer hanging on a cross. 
that's five minutes from death, and can't do a thing to improve his good works or his good actions or his sacrifice. And he makes that offer to that person as well. Anyone can have it because it's a free gift. All anyone has to do is receive it. See, in God's kingdom, God doesn't draw the line here or here or here. It's not a vertical line. It's a horizontal line. And in God's kingdom, there will be good people that have realized they're not good enough but have accepted his free offer. And there will be bad people that don't deserve it but realize that they can accept that and accept it and they're in his kingdom. There'll be people that from the outside look like they deserve it and get in. And from the outside look like they don't deserve it and yet accept that free offer. There will be people in God's kingdom that you nod and approve of and there will be people in his kingdom that accept that offer that you blush and turn red and get offended at. And there will be good people that thought they were good enough and so they refused the offer and they didn't get in. And there will be bad people I thought they had to be good and couldn't and refuse the offer and they won't get in, you see. But in the end, Christianity, it's not this arrogant, morally prideful thing where every Christian believes that they're better than other people. That's why they're in it. No, no, no. Every single Christ follower, Peter, John, me, the people you're sitting in right now, we realize we're just lame people, sick people, paralyzed people that have experienced the healing power of Jesus Christ. And just want others to know where that healing is found. And it is not God's desire that any should perish, but that all should have eternal life. He makes that offer to anyone and everyone. He's provided the solution to all of our problems and makes it available to whoever will receive it. See, it's an exclusive religion, yeah. But it's the most inclusive religion or worldview that's ever been. And I want to ask you today, have you accepted Jesus' free offer to be included? Maybe you're here today watching online or at one of our campuses and you thought Jesus was like every other religious leader. You had to clean yourself up before you actually got in. No, 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 no. There's no cleanup. He offers it to you right here and right now. Well, I'll have to clean up after I start following. Well, there will be life change, but it will not be to earn the acceptance of God. It'll be out of loving response to the acceptance that he already offers you right here, right now in Jesus Christ. Some of you are good at being good and you think you have it within yourself to be good enough to make it to heaven. That is not a burden that you were ever meant to bear. To be good enough to earn your way to heaven, you need to lay that burden down and accept the free righteousness of Jesus Christ. So across all of our campuses, even online, if you could bow your heads and close your eyes right now. If you have never received that free gift, it sounds crazy. There's nothing you have to do except believe and confess that Jesus is Lord. But if you've never done that, maybe just pray this one little prayer. Nothing magic about it, but just say, Jesus, I'm out and I want to be in. And I heard that through you, God offers that. So I receive it. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you prayed that prayer in this room across one of our campuses, would you just raise your hand right now as a way to just say, yes, I'm proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. That's awesome. Online, you can just raise your hand as well. That's amazing. Online and across all of our campuses, we're gonna have the worship teams come back up. We're gonna have our prayer teams up front as well. 
If you want to share that you made that decision or just get some prayer about something in your life or, or we can help you understand Christianity better, all of our prayer teams can come forward. But after I pray, I say amen. You can join us in worship. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the inclusive gospel <laughs> that no one's too far gone. Father, you desire that all receive that gift. Thank you. We would be lost and dead in our sin were it not for you. Father, I praise you that many people just accepted that gift. For those of us that have already received it, will we rejoice in it? Will we draw near to the Father who called us close that first time? That's in your beautiful name, the Savior of the world, we pray, Jesus. Amen.